What's happening, running fans? Welcome back to the Trackster podcast brought to you by Pillar Performance. For those that are new to the show, Pillar is a sports micronutrition company who have developed products that intersect between pharmaceutical intervention and sports supplements for athletes. The easiest way to describe it is hydration and carbohydrates products will take you through to the finish line. Pillar's mission is to get athletes to the start line in the best condition over and over again. Now, if you'd like to try Pillar today, head over to the pillarperformance.shop or for our US listeners, head to thefeed.com forward slash pillar. If you enter our discount code Trackster, you can get 15% off your first time purchases. That's Trackster, all capital letters. Now, we are back as the dynamic duo, myself, Lloyd, and my co-host, Alfie. Today's episode will bring you up to speed with everything going on in the athletics world right now and what to look forward to. We cover Amber Anning's insane British record over the 200-metre short track, Birchfield Harrier's court battle with Birmingham City Council over the use of the Alexander Stadium where the Commonwealth Games was hosted and home to thousands of athletes in that area. And we round up the results and madness from the recent BU meet this past week. We also run through myself and Alfie's training weeks and, of course, our WTF moment from social media of the week. Alfie, welcome to the show. How are we, mate? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm doing well. Feels like we're finally starting to, uh, at least I'm starting to get used to this whole podcast thing again. So it feels nice to be a bit more relaxed for this one. And there's been plenty of things that we're going to touch on this episode. So it's going to be a good episode, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Mate. I think it's uh, getting back into the swing of things, turning up and having a chat. And you've you, you've donned the cap today. What is it? Are you, are you going bald or are you just trying to you know remind us that you ran for Great Britain once? Well, the honest truth is... I am trying to grow my hair a bit and I'm, I, my timings have never been quite right in terms of getting my run done in the morning. So unfortunately, and it pains me to say this, I've had to do my run and then uh, have some lunch and then quickly jump on the podcast without having enough time to do my hair. So um, I thought a cap would be easier than uh, trying to mess around with sorting out some growing hair. And also I've not had a haircut in a while, so it's growing on top, not really cut nicely on the sides, just a bit of a mess, I'm sure. Most people know the struggle at some point. That's all right, mate. We'll let you, we'll let you off. We'll let you off. But uh, welcome back to the show for another episode. Obviously, we're kicking this off again in 2024. I feel right. like we could probably start, stop saying that from, from next week. But uh, the Tracks the Podcast is going to be with you weekly with myself and Alfie. And we'll bring you random little interviews with various guests as and when certain events are happening and uh, we get people on the show. But we're going to kick things off with our training weeks. Alfie, obviously you always go first. So what we'll do is we'll go with you. You run us through your last week of training. Talk to us. How was it, mate? How many miles did you run? And was it a success? So this is probably not even a normal week for me. So I'll just start off the bat by saying that it was probably the biggest week I've done in terms of intensity and, and volume together. So... I just wanted to get that out there so people know that this is even a bit crazy for me. So Monday is what I kind of call the recovery day, but it was still 10 miles, 16K with some strides in it. So I guess a bit of a, a fake recovery day, but it's my shortest day of the week. Um, just because I work on Mondays, would rather get up at eight o'clock than get up at seven. So I just have that as my recovery day. Um, that pace was like 430 kilometers, but I honestly, I never track pace on easy runs, no heart rate. I just literally just go with how I feel. Sometimes my body's feeling worse, so I go slower. Um, I never really go faster than like four tens per kilometer. Um, Tuesday, I had my easy run and hill sprints in the morning. So 
just to explain the hill sprints, I feel like a lot of people, or at least I get asked on my own socials, like, what are the hill sprints? And it's essentially just you find a steep hill and you do six to eight reps up it as fast as you can and then walk back down in about 90 seconds. And it, in theory, is probably one of the most effective ways to improve speed and power because you're kind of recruiting as many muscles as you can to get up that hill. And that's something I've really struggled with. So that's why I'm doing that. Wednesday and then Tuesday night. Sorry, I was always getting already getting onto Wednesday. It was probably one of my best sessions this winter block, and it was ten times two hundred meters with two hundred jog recovery in twenty eights, twenty sevens. It was meant to be twenty eights to thirties, but felt really good, so I started rolling a bit. And it's first time this season that sub thirty two hundred meter pace has felt comfortable. Um, and then we had a mile jog recovery and then we did four by a mile off 90 seconds recovery and that was 438 438 437 434 all feeling really smooth so it's it was quite a nice feeling because i've kind of struggled with hitting those type of 5k 10k paces whereas now they start to feel a lot better so like 434 to 438 is kind of where i want my 10k pace to be at the minute and then wednesday I just had a standard double. So it was just 12K in the morning, 12K, 10K at night. So 22K in total, just easy again. Thursday, double threshold. So it was six times 2K in the morning with four, 500 meter jog recovery in like 3.08 per kilometer, progressing a bit uh, as I went through. Then in the evening, I did 10 by a K off 75 seconds rest. And it was the first time I've used a lactate monitor in my own training. So I've had tests, but it's the first time I've used a lactate tester. And the Ingeritsons make it look so easy. It is a nightmare trying to jump off the treadmill, inject yourself with some little needle, take out the lactate tester without touching it or else you ruin the results, getting the right amount of blood in and then waiting for the test result. So it took me a few reps to actually test my lactate, but it worked. And I was happy to see the, the levels was what I was hoping it to be. So that was good kind of started at 302 per kilometer and went down to 258. So that was good. Friday was 12K in the morning, 8K in the evening with strides. Feeling a bit tired from the day before. Then Saturday came around and I had for 3K at 9.02 to 9.15 and then a 1K float in 3.21 to 3.26 times 5. So 20K and because it's Sheffield, it was around the running, it was around the track. So 50 laps around the track. Um, I averaged a bit quicker. So I ended up doing like nine minutes and three 15s. And then the last 3K was in 8.39. So I think I did 20K in an hour, one minute and something. And I think I averaged like 303 per kilometer for 20K, which probably my best session I've done ever. So I was, I was really pleased with that. And then in the evening, did a bit of uh, cross-training and went and played badminton, which I just want to throw it out there. If any if any runner thinks he could beat me at any other racket sport, I'd love to take on a challenge. Uh, maybe that's something we could do at some point because I'm, I'm definitely the best uh, runner when it comes to racket sports. And then Sunday was just a 20K, 5K double with uh, gym in the evening as well. So just over like 100 miles for the week. I thought it was going to be quite a lot more than 100 miles, but it, it kind of just like 106 i believe it's it's sometimes a bit hard because i manually add the sessions because gps sometimes goes a bit wild so uh, i can't remember off the top of my head but it was in the hundreds but not crazy crazy high but 
you know, five sessions in total. So quite a big week. So that session on Saturday, so it's five by three K with a one K float. Yep. And you ran 20K in 61 minutes. So that's what, for a half, about 64? Yeah, 64. Yeah, 64 and change. So, okay, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Did your coach set you that session? Yeah, he did. A bit a bit slower. Like the, the targets I said at the start was what he set. Uh, but we kind of cranked up the cranked it up a bit in the in the in the session okay interesting that's a massive session i'm interested to know i don't know i'm just trying to understand the coaching philosophy for because obviously you're training for the 5k right yeah and i'm not saying that's not a good session obviously it's a class session if you can get through it and it's, it's a beast of a workout but like i don't know many 5k runners doing that session and i'm talking like world-class athletes like that session five by three k the one k flight that's what phil sessman would do sort of four four five weeks six weeks out from a marathon so either you're not telling us the truth and you're training for the half marathon or that's just your coach's philosophy or i'm wrong tell me if i'm wrong do you know what it is so i i used to have a marathon runner who trained with the group and during lockdown a lot of the time we just trained together and over time, it went from me helping him out in sessions, whether that's right or wrong, you know, in terms of sacrificing my own session. But a lot of the time, I'd jump in with his, help him out. And to be honest, it was it was the biggest improvement in fitness I've ever had. So mm-hmm. it's kind of me pushing back on my coach, asking to do these more, and then that kind of coming into the philosophy. For context, the whole group did that session, but or a variation, but the rest of the group did 1K on 1K float for 12K. So the 12K session, still relatively long, but that's just a kind of a longer tempo. Um, and we've kind of capped it out at 20K, but it just feels those sort of sessions for me just work really well. Like I've done 20K tempos. And even though you're training for the five and the 10, which I am, I think my strength is my aerobic ability but also my ability to improve my aerobic capacity quite quickly by doing those type of sessions so i can handle those sessions so if i can do 20k of essentially improving my it's not that black and white but you know it's a lot of volume in one go to generally improve my fitness if i can handle that i choose to do that because it's just a lot of benefit i can get it from one day basically Hmm. um so that's why I kind of look at it. I, w- I wouldn't really recommend it to anyone else, or like on the track especially. Um, but that's just because of the circumstances. But overall, like I- I'm really good at handling my body. My body never really gets beaten up, even with t- the track or whatever. So we kind of push the barriers. So we kind of know my limits of what I can do in terms of how much I can push myself. And that's kind of what we've come to see is I get the most fitness out of that type of training. Uh, so that's kind of what we do. But you're right, like, I don't know a single 5K runner who does that. So, so just remember, right, so you're so you about, th- about three minute per K pace on the, on the three Ks, and then the K floats were at what? 3.15s. Uh, and the last 3K was obviously, what, 8.39, 8.40. So, yeah, yeah your last 3K was uh, about 2.53s. Correct. Calm, good, eh? So you must be tempted to do a half. Like you must be tempted. Like you must be, like you must be looking at those sessions and think, well, 
you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, I'm not trained for the half. Well, you probably are, you know, so without without actually racing a half because um, you're doing a lot of training that a half marathon would do for their half, but you're also incorporating some faster work for obviously five and 10 Ks. Um, is there any sense of, well, if I went all eggs in the half marathon basket and dare I say at the marathon, I don't know. I know you're young, I get it. But like if you're running 64 and change pace, you're surely looking at that and thinking like, what can I run in a half? Like you must be thinking like looking at the results of say like, the big half marathon in London, you'd be thinking I can finish in the top five here. Is that is that even on your radar or by way off? Or is that a thing of, okay, I'll wait and see how the track goes for the next year or so? It, it's always been track, then see how the season pans out. And last season kind of came to me a bit with the track. So obviously uh, the 3K went well. Uh, it was one of the fastest on the domestic scene and then obviously England champ of the five, which isn't obviously British champ. So it's, it's quite a massive difference, but it was, I was planning to do a half marathon in September, maybe the big half, maybe Copenhagen, but then I kind of got a call. I got an invite to do the 5k road champs and that was a new event at the time. I thought, Oh, I can, I can maybe get selected for the world here, but I didn't really, anticipate going into it carrying on that sort of intensity training for that long throughout summer kind of meant I was a bit banged up by the end so I struggled to race um so in hindsight I probably would have done a half last year this year the goal I think is to get as fit as possible for to then work like if I wanted to do a 3k or a 5k go down and do some specific stuff and be fit enough to handle that regardless but then also have the ability to go up to the half uh which I'll probably want to do at some point this season. But it's weird because I'm aerobically really strong, but I'm physiologically quite weak. So in the half, my body will probably start to struggle when, once I get to a point where I'm pushing myself at a certain limit. So like this this session where I can, I can kind of float around, not at that limit is fine. But then when I need to go and run a half at 250 something per kilometre, that's when I'll start to... Uh, feel the effects of me being a bit weaker. So uh, it's one of the reasons why I'm doing cross country this season, uh, doing gym, consistently trying to improve my strength in in terms of mm-hmm. very true form of strength. Um, but yeah, obviously I'd be stupid to not think that that's probably where my, my ability lies. Um, and it's just get to a point where I go and do those races rather than track. But I think also not being a contracted athlete doing track races a bit more accessible and a bit more frequent than doing roadway races, you know? So like if I prepare to do a half, it probably takes quite a big block to prepare for that specific half. And then also a bit of recovery, whereas I can do a 5k race one weekend, every weekend for a month, really, if I wanted to. So it's, yeah, that's fair enough. But it's definitely my mind. It's always always interesting to, to understand the philosophies behind training, et cetera. But, um, no, I mean that's. Uh, I think that's a mature way of looking at it, and I think with the decision of stepping away from the track and stepping towards the roads, obviously you can you can do both. Like it's not like right, I'm never running track again, but prioritizing what you actually want to work towards. I think you know when that decision is the right time to make it, and if and if you're not like, yep, yeah, now's the time, then yeah, it's clearly not ready yet. So that's good, mate. Excellent. So uh, next up, Armar five k February. Yeah, Armar five k. Quick turnaround to do a cross country race in Belgium three days later and then British Jumps 3k the, the month the week after that 
So quite three okay. races in a week, basically. And Armar, you'll be trying to take the win, I assume. Yeah, yeah, trying to take the win. You never obviously you can't guarantee great weather, so the time kind of comes on the day if it comes. But you can always yep. race race to win. So yeah, Armar trying to win. Not saying I'm favourite by any means, but I think if you went. Last year I came sixth. So if I go there not trying to win, then it's kind of not doing myself justice, I think. Yeah, totally. I think last year like, I watched the race. Was it when Hum- did Henry win it last year? Yeah, Henry McCluggy. So he won it last year to the course record. Was it 13, 39? Yeah, it was in, it was in the 30s. Oh, wow. It might have been 38, 39. Yeah, so I remember that race. And the thing with the RMR stream, it, because it is dark, it focuses on the front athletes. And when there's a gap, it's hard to see what's going on further behind and Henry obviously made a decisive break and went quite far clear where it looked like it on the stream and uh yeah it was like you came over the line sixth and I was like oh my god Alfie was like top five top ten it was dad didn't even know like saw you at the start of the race saw you early up there in the early stages and then didn't see you for the entirety of the rest and then it was like oh my god he's had an amazing run so yeah if you if you're up there last year and you're far better running than you were this time last year. So there's no reason why you can't challenge for that win, mate. So best of luck. That's what we're saying. Um, so training this week, Alfie, it was a good week. You'll be pleased to hear. It's another marathon week tri- ticked off. Um, I didn't run as many miles that I'd set out to run. Um, and I reason I made the decision quite early on in the week to change my training. So last, the week prior around 62 miles across six days, this, Last week, I ran 64, um, and it was only the long run that was further. So it was just literally two more two more miles on the long run. Everything else kept the same. Mm. And the reason being is because mm. I looked at the week, and, there, and I factored in, like, two double-day runs, so two easy 6K, 7K doubles. And I did the first run of the day on one of the days, and I was like, I just don't need to do that double run. I just I just didn't need to push it that far. I was just thinking like, you know what? Another 60 plus mile week and a 20 mile long run, that's good enough. Um, so I was just trying to be a little bit sensible. So that's why I sort of held back on the mileage. But a good week and I'll run you through it now. So Monday was an hour easy, just eight miles on the trails, 7.32 per mile. Tuesday, I had to take as a rest. I didn't plan to take that as a rest um i wanted i want to have my rest days on fridays or sundays but i can't quite remember why but tuesday was a mad day i think it was work related um and i just just the time ran out and and whatnot so had to take that as a rest wednesday was my workout day i had 10 by 1k with a 60 second rest now i've done 10 by 1k once in my life i've only ever done eight by 1k um so I was cautious to not do these too fast. It was very, very, very windy on Wednesday in Bushy Park and I was running down the middle road. So I said to myself and on the workout video that we're going to bring out on Trackster, you'll hear me say on the camera, if I can average between 320 and 330 for these Ks, I'll be buzzing because I still wanted to run them at threshold effort. Like I don't measure lactate and right now I don't even measure my heart rate for the threshold. I've been doing thresholds so long, especially for this workout on that road. I feel like I can pretty much, I'm well intertwined on my, well tuned into my threshold. So I was like, look, if I run 320s, that's a good day. If I run 330s, that's also okay. But I also don't really know where I'm at right now with faster work because I've just kind of got going. So anyway, started the session 
And uh, yeah, I averaged 318. My fastest was 315. And my slowest was the only one outside 320 around a 322. Um, but they were, I don't know why that one was slower for, for a reason, but um, they were all 318, 319. Like the splits were literally a second apart. And even on the couple of the reps where, you know what it's like the threshold running sometimes, especially at this time of year in the UK, breathing's a little bit heavier and you're like, I don't, maybe I'll just pull back literally two seconds a K just to kind of make sure I'm okay. So like I did a couple of reps. I was like, right, I'll go off super easy and just like actively run slower. And I was, and I was still running a 318, 319. So it was a really good session. Um, 12 miles all in on that day. And I text my friend Clarky after the session. Uh, you can see I asked that when, and I was like, yeah, 10 K 10 by one K 318s. And if I think back to when I was doing sessions with Charlotte Perdue and Izzy Bat Doyle before Izzy's 2.23 in Valencia, we were doing a lot of sessions together. And there was a couple of weeks where we did eight by a K, both weeks in a, in a row off 60 seconds rest. And these girls, they, they, they train hard, man. Like they, they are just pedal to the metal. I'm not saying they do everything flat out, but like, if they do eight by a K, there's no kind of like, oh, we just ran at the threshold today. It is, it's hard running. And when we was doing those sessions, I think I was averaging like 313. So I'm pretty happy with that session. I think that's, I think that's a good point to be 12 weeks out from the marathon doing that. I'm happy with that. It's, especially um, with the conditions. So hard to run in the wind. So if you can get those mm. splits out, um, I, I was up north by then, but I was in London uh, on the Sunday and it was I think the day after it started to get really windy and there was quite yeah. bad weather basically all around the country so the fact that you went outside and managed to do a session in that is impressive in itself because I went straight indoors so yeah I mean it's, it's definitely going to be worth a few seconds especially when you're trying to control the pace it's it's one of them where the wind can make such a big difference in your times so yeah I didn't I, I probably weren't even thinking about whether it was worth a few seconds I think it was just like it is with every training day at the moment, like I was running 10 by a K, but I actually, this is how I actually tell people that I coach to run threshold sessions. I always say run the session as if you're doing 20% more volume. So I was running the session like I was doing 12 by a K. If I was doing, um, you know, 3K reps, I'd be like, right, I'm doing three by 3K. Okay, run it like I'm doing four by 3K. And if I can run it with that effort in mind, that's where I'm always roughly around my threshold. That generally makes sense to me. And that's just from trial and error and doing it for so many years. But yeah, I felt I felt good after the workout and I wasn't I wasn't completely cooked. But yeah, it's uh it was a tough day with the wind and there's nothing worse than finishing a session on a windy day like that. And it's like, right, I've got a five K cooldown. But I do have a tip for runners. I don't know whether this is a a credible coaching tip, but there is a way to make your cooldowns much more enjoyable. Obviously, if you're on the treadmill, treadmill's treadmill is what it is. But when you're out, finish your session and just just straight, just go do your cool down in your in your flats or whatever you're wearing. Just go and do your cool down because one, you don't have the opportunity to like go back to the car, go back to wherever your kit is, sit down, put your trackies on, put your shoes on, and then it's like ten minutes and you sat down and then you've got to go again. And secondly, you can run faster on your cool down in flats. So like, I'm not saying go and like do an interval for your cool down, but like. If I cool down after I've gone back to the car and I've put my mileage shoes on, my cool down's like nine minute mile in sometimes. Whereas if I cool down in my flats, it's like seven thirties, so then it's just done. And it just feels like a long run. So that's my little nugget of 
advice if you hate cooldowns as much as me. But anyway, that was Wednesday. Thursday was eight miles easy again. I say it was easy. I was pushed for time because of the daylight. Again, work was mental Thursday. And I ended up running 6.40 per mile. So it was more of a steady run. Definitely wasn't easy. I felt okay, but it was steady. Um, Friday, I ran two runs. I ran four miles in the morning at 7.32 per mile. Uh, I was supposed to run eight, but I Thursday night, I drove to my family's home for we we're having a Christmas weekend. And the Friday morning, I just didn't quite eat enough. And I felt a little bit lightheaded. So I just ran four. And then I ran a four-mile easy run in the evening at 7.17 per mile. Felt a lot better that second run. Just for context, um, for new listeners, you're having a Christmas weekend because you went to Australia over Christmas. It's not We're not recording yes. this Christmas time. Just just for anyone who doesn't know why yeah. you're having a Christmas weekend at the end of January, that is why. Yeah, I, I went away to Australia and Asia. So uh, this was the first weekend that we had free. So I've driven back to Lincolnshire, which is like three hours away. Um and it's just flat fields. It's the flattest. It's the, it is the flattest area of the entire UK, um, which is mental. And that's where I grew up for a lot of years. So um, yeah, I went back there and did two runs around the fields, which was which was nice. You can imagine the wind. Now on Saturday, this was the day that I was going around my mum's for a Christmas dinner, and like this is like a proper Christmas day, yeah. So like, get there like twelve o'clock midday, fat Christmas dinner, and then just food all day. So I, I knew there was a big day of eating up for grabs and i'd kind of prepared like i'd eaten really clean <laughs> like the week leading in um but i also knew that i had 20 miles to do before that so this was the first 20 mile of the block and it was just again time on feet there's no like marathon pace or anything like that and i'm not doing that yet i'm just building distance and i did 18 the week before so the only thing that i was a little bit apprehensive about was the fact that where i was running because of where i live where i used to live I can do 20 miles in one loop. It's sick. It's like literally no cars, country lanes. It's mega. But with that, the wind is brutal and it doesn't really give you any inkling. Like one day it might be a bit kinder to you. Another day it's like the wind's changed and you're just dead. So I did 20 miles at 6.43 per mile. And after a few miles, after like two or three miles, I was already sub sevens. And I was like, I'm not saying that's quick for me, but like, to run a 20 miler i've not run one for a long long time i was a bit like mm, that's a little bit punchy i don't know whether i should be running that fast this early but i felt great so i just just kept rolling with it and literally just kept knocking out like 645 650s and then there's a particular road called sluice road and sluice road will try and end your running career that's all i'm going to say because the headwind down there is a four mile stretch the headwind down this road it, it's the windiest road I've ever run on and it doesn't matter what time of year it is. So I got there at 13 miles, feeling fantastic, had all my, had my gels and everything was going fine. And then I turned and the next four miles was brutal. And the problem was, is because I was running into a headwind, I was like, right, I've got to like, I want to keep the pace at what I was running. So I started running harder, but I ended up running like 630s. So I was running 630s into this headwind, which was probably worth 620s, not, not headwind that I was running in prior, prior to that. Um, so then like the last three miles were when I got back off the wind, the last three miles were pretty, uh, pretty grim, but got it done, ticked it off. That was all that. And then I had a Christmas dinner that was mint. And then Sunday drove back to London and I ran easy eight on the trails 
back in Surrey. So 64 miles for the week. Good week. Lovely. I just want to say the wind, the point about the wind, like it's it's one of them where I think it probably prepares you quite well for marathon training because you're probably getting a lot of unnecessarily added intensity, which then you have to learn to deal with. And that kind of is a marathon to a T. If you think a marathon, especially one of your first in a while is going to go to plan, it's, it's not. So having that sort of simulation of, you know, one second you're feeling fresh because the wind's behind you and the next second you're feeling dead because the wind's in, in your head, that's that's kind of a good thing. I did the same when I went down south a few months ago. I set off, I was doing like a steady run at like 320 per kilometre. feel like, wow, this is the best I've ever felt. Turned around and me being stubborn, I had to keep it at 320 per kilometre so it was no longer a steady run. I ended up like bonking with 5k to go and everything was just flat out. It took me about half a week to recover from that run because I was like, I'm not slowing down because of the wind. Um, even though it was it, the the pace difference was probably worth at least ten seconds a kilometer, maybe even more. So, wind is a massive effect. So I, I really feel for anyone who lives on the coast, or if they live in the north of England when it's bad weather because the wind here just gets horrendous. But it's good that you managed to do that, and I think also with a lot of travel, the fact that you still managed to increase your mileage over the week is a good thing. And also, like you said, it's the first time doing 10 by K. So you've increased mileage and you've probably increased intensity, if I'm not wrong. So I think overall, yes, you kind of didn't increase mileage by how much you would have wanted. But in terms of like impact on the body, it was probably the right amount of increase, would you say? Yeah, I'm really happy that I made the decision not to run the other runs. Like It was literally a difference of I would have run another nine nine miles across the week, but I know that that nine miles was just probably too much where I'm at at the moment. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, 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 I think that's kind of what you got to do, do when you chose the marathon, especially when you've not got a massive, massive foundation like I have. Just make sm- smart decisions. Um, but you said about not doing a session in the wind. I'm actually going to the gym tonight to do my session on the treadmill. And I don't know how that's going to go, if I'm honest. So I'll keep you posted next week. I've just got a text from my coach. Let's see if it says, oh no, I'm, I'm outside tonight. So, uh, it's a bit of a contrast. I'm going to be in the wind tonight and at least you're going to be cozy on the treadmill, which, Joe, you know what? I actually think there's a lot of utility to doing sessions on the treadmill. You can control it. It's a different stimulus. Mm. And also you kind of, like I said, if you control a bit more, your body can just feel that bit better, providing you're used to running on the treadmill. Because if you're not, then the treadmill's probably going to beat you up as well. Um, yeah, I've done quite a bit of treadmill running over the years. Um, in my in my, uh, my old house, I used to have, well, my old apartment, I had a gym in the complex. God, that sounds so so stupid to say on stream but yeah that was lit all right moving on so that was our training weeks another two good two weeks training for us both um and all you know as we say off you go next week crack on don't come to me on this podcast and tell me that you didn't have a good week of training because um you will then be banned from the tracks podcast we've got to keep each other accountable alfie i'm tapering this week so it's not gonna be that great to be honest but that is a good training week though yeah true true i guess it's uh quite toxic for me to think a taper week wouldn't be good it's kind of a, a downward spiral, Tape, I think. Tapers are key, my friend. Tapers are key. Unless but, you keep it. Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, literally. All right, listeners. So we're just going to take a short break to talk about today's sponsor. The Tracks of Podcast is currently brought to you by Pillar Performance. Now, my nighttime routine and my sleep has become a crucial part of being able to consistently perform in training, especially in the build-up to the Manchester Marathon. You know what it's like. You're training for the marathon. You're doing loads of miles. And to be honest, you're knackered most of the time. Pillar's triple magnesium, informed by leading heart rate variability researcher Dr. Dan Plews, has been massive to my end-of-day ritual. What I do is, 30 minutes before bed each night, I take the Pillar 
triple magnesium. And that guarantees that my body spends as much time in REM and deep sleep as possible. Now, the science behind it is that Pillar use a high dose of glycinate magnesium, and that activates the parasympathetic nervous system and ensures that you fall asleep and stay in the restorative sleep phases for longer. Now, my Coros, the PACE 3 that I use, every single morning I check the data, and the data speaks for itself about what this magnesium is doing for my recovery. I have a higher HRV, and it's closely linked or more closely linked to my REM and deep sleep cycles. And on top of all that, I feel way better rested and recovered for the next day of training. Now, if you'd like to try Pillar today, head over to pillarperformance.shop or for our US listeners, head to thefeed.com forward slash pillar and enter our discount code TRAXTER for 15% off all of your first time purchases. That's TRAXTER for 15% off. Now, back to the interview. Alfie, what are you saying? And just before we do go back to the interview, I'd just like to add from a personal note, as someone who's struggled with sleep all their life, I have noticed quite a significant improvement in falling asleep since taking pillow before bed. So I just wanted to add that little little bit of extra, um, I guess, proof of concept so that it, it does work. I've really struggled and I'm really grateful to, be, to being able to use a product and then also work for a brand like Pillow. But moving on, we're going to cover a few of the other stories. So first off, we're going to kick things off with uh, we've got a new British record, which is always nice to hear. Amber Anning, the sprint star, absolutely smashed Catherine Mary's British indoor record for 200 metres. And that was set 25 years ago in 1999. So Catherine Mary is obviously a fabulous commentator, um, often seen commentating with Jeff Whiteman. Uh, she ran 22.83 back in 1999 and Amber Anning has just run 22.60 it was also on the same day that uh, we had the BU meet which we're gonna which we're gonna cover but Amber Anning I think I think it's amazing she's only 23 she runs out of the University of Arkansas and it was her first 200 of the season and interestingly I didn't realize this until actually thinking about it but I've just read an article here that says that for the last 20 years the 200 meters has not featured at major international championships um so yeah what are your thoughts around that one that performance Alfie and two would you like to see that event featured at the world indoor champs I always get a bit confused with it why it's not to be honest because it seems a little bit better than the indoor four because the indoor four is quite a dangerous event so I don't really understand why that's in and not the two because it's also completely different to a 60 it says here that apparently it was due to the fact that sprinters if they were drawn on the inside lane, had a disadvantage. So they were they were basically just withdrawing from finals. If they got a bad lane, so like say like they were drawn like lane one or lane two, they just wouldn't, they're just DNS. So then obviously that looks naff. So I think that's probably why they scrapped it. But they obviously, they still do it at like, they do it at British indoors, don't they? Yeah. I guess that but, does make sense. Cause my argument to that would be run them in two heats and have like, just use the outside lanes, but then it's not really a race. So, uh, mm. Yeah, fair enough. Then maybe maybe it should stay out of the of the of the champs. But Amber Anning, she 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 was on one of the outside lanes, but she actually she's had an interesting season. So she ran an eight hundred meters recently as well. Did you see that? No, I I haven't seen that. So she's 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 a two hundred four hundred runner. Yeah. I'd say she's probably a 400, 200 runner actually. Um, but she ran an eight hundred meter personal best. Well, she ran an eight hundred meters the other day or the other week of two hundred five. She's pretty solid. Um, considering she's a sprinter, if you like, but uh, she ran the four by four in Budapest for the world champs when Britain got the bronze, 
And that was, the, I don't know, you may or may not remember this, but she ran a split of 49.82, which, considering her year was quite hampered by injury, that was pretty incredible. And she was probably unlucky not to get picked for the individual. But, yeah, crazy, crazy performance from Amber Anning. And to be honest, I think that considering she had a tough year last year with injuries and stuff, I think this is just going to show that she is uh, she is one to watch for the future, and especially once she goes pro after university and, Quite nice as well. She was coached by Lloyd Cowan, who obviously is no longer with us. So it's quite nice that she's been able to, you know, keep his name in the uh, spotlight as well. We've had a fabulous coach in his own right. And it's great to see one of his athletes flourishing amazingly well. So, yeah, interesting to see how she goes. But it's interesting. Do we call it the 200 meter indoors or do we call it the 200 meter short track? Short track. Record? It has to be. Has to be short. Don't know anymore. Last week's podcast, we have to call it short, to short be, track. It? No. It's Brandon. Yeah, we need to please Will Athletics. It's short track. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. Well, if it means it keeps Will Athletics happy, I'll, I'll I'll say whatever I need to. Tell me what to say. I'll say it. But uh, yeah, new British record for the two hundred short track. Amber Anning twenty two six zero, and it's going to be well. Maybe that's going to you know athletes like Dina Asher Smith are looking at that and thinking, okay. Okay, if she can do it, I can do it. And maybe that's because that's all you need sometimes, isn't it? An athlete breaks a barrier, as as we've seen for, for generations, and then off the, off it goes. And that certainly happened this past week at the BU meet. I mean, well, obviously, we spoke about it last week's podcast, Alfie, about the start lists, how stacked they were, and how fast that track is. And we weren't disappointed, were we? Yeah, I can't, I can't tell you the joy I had when I woke up in the morning, straight out of, didn't even have time to make a coffee, got my phone out, checked the results. Um, obviously very fast, but I think from a biased point of view, seeing George Mills run 12.58 was either the best thing I've seen all week or the worst thing I've seen all week, considering I beat him in two 10k races back to back two years ago. So the fact um, he's now got that is... Uh, is is promising but also quite sad for me but it's it's great um and overall like there's so many performances to unpack in just in those two five thousand meter races alone it's i'd say unbelievable but we kind of it's becoming the new normal now especially in the last 12 months i feel like we've had obviously fast times for many reasons in recent years but the last year every single race seems to be fast like every single race, if it's not fast, we're disappointed. Um, so the, the the winners, I was kind of shocked with in both of those heats. I wouldn't have picked um, Kirk Kurga and um, Aiden Wildshut to to win their heats respectively. I mean, obviously, very 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 good runners, but in terms of a kick at the end of a five k race, I probably would have backed some others in there to yeah, win. So that's that's always great to see. You know, more people stepping up to be contenders for the teams and championships and stuff. But overall, I, I was trying to think of a performance that impressed me most. And I, I probably have to say, uh, I'll say Nico Young in the in the scarlet heat or the white heat and then George Mills in the other heat, you know, Nico running 12.57. I think it's 21, yeah. 22, 12.57. Uh, <laughs> but I crazy. suppose he ran that he ran that 3.57 mile at altitude, didn't he? Was it 3.57? Yeah, ran that three fifty seven and then backed it up with three k as well. The same was it the same day? Am I right in saying he doubled up that day? I don't know. I'm not sure if he did. I know his teammate Colin Salmon did uh, the most recent 
Um, he ran. He ran. He did, uh, did he? Anyway, regardless, he ran that three three fifty seven mile, which was adjusted to three forty seven, and we spoke about that and whether that was accurate and because it is fast and it's almost like well you don't you don't associate Nico Young with being a being a fifteen hundred meter miler, but looking at that mile and also looking at the five thousand, the boy's got a kick, mate. The boy is shifting. Like he has seriously got wheels, and I think maybe. He's kind of almost being written off as a kicker and being written off as this long distance runner who's really good at track, uh, longer track races and fantastic cross country. And he'll probably go on to do what Conor Mance has done and go to the marathon. But actually, hang on a second. He's seriously got some fast legs up, you know, beneath him that can run some good times. But George Mills, yeah, let's talk about him. So ran sub 13 for the first time in his life. It was his second ever 5,000 meters. His first ever indoor 5,000 meters. It's a completely different event. Or short track five thousand. Sorry, Wild Athletics. Now, now his debut of the five came outdoors last year at the I think it was the Vienna on track night. Yeah, or Paris. Can't quite remember. Paris, I think one of the on track nights. And you know, he he surprised himself that night running thirteen eighteen, which was fantastic. And he's absolutely demolished that. He's around twenty seconds off his best. He's just missed Mark Scott's UK short track record of twelve fifty seven oh eight. And obviously, it's only Mo Farah that's run faster than those two. So he's gone third on the British rankings for short track 5,000. But I, I kind of already know the answer because I know what George Mills is doing in training. But I'll ask you, Alfie, how has he got so good? That's my question. So I want to start this by saying George Mills is probably the hardest working person I have seen not in terms of I mean everyone can work hard in sessions but in terms of what he does outside of the sessions he is the craziest person I've seen in terms of dedication to what he does in terms of napping getting the recovery in I think he has a list of foods he's got to eat every week and it's like 52 different vegetables um it's it's relentless and I, I think of that actually as something where I'm like if I had the same training set up as George and had the same talent, I don't personally think I would be able to replicate it to the extent he has done because the energy it takes to do what he's doing off the track to get to where he's got is obviously worth it, but I've never seen anything like it. Like, you know, I'm surrounded by a lot of runners who work very hard and it's a given that you've got to work hard off the track as well. But the extent he does that at is more than anyone else I've seen by far so I, I believe one it's the training setup the training the support he gets on because on I think in terms of support an athlete has to be the best brand at the minute in terms of uh, putting an athlete in miles, a system miles and getting clear. Results. so miles clear so far clear um, it's it's not even close I don't think um, so that but also his work ethic his confidence um He's just everything about him is what you'd want out of an athlete. Like if you were a coach, you'd, I think he'd be the perfect athlete to coach because you know what he's doing, what the work he's going to put in behind the scenes. So I think that's how he's got so fast. But also, you kind of look at it, he was an 800-meter runner. He won the mm. European 800-meter champs, I think, back in the day. Out or maybe the 15. One, one or the other, maybe both. So he's had natural. he's a natural talent at speed. And his training of like 120 miles a week has progressed him to this endurance runner with 
natural talent and speed. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. Um, so, I mean, he spent three months in, in Dulstrom, which is probably one of the most boring places on the planet over Christmas. <laughs> he went to South Africa for a week, like um, in some of the nice Cape, Cape Town, South Africa for a week. Other than that, he spent three months at high altitude, living in a house with some other on-runners, surrounded by nothing. So it's kind of what you expect him to run. Yeah, well, yeah, it was European under-18s. He won the 800. Um, his, inst- his Insta handle is still George Mills 800, which is hilarious. So I think you need to, you need to update that. But uh, obviously he ran 3.47 in the mile in Eugene, Diamond League final. And the 13.18 was late in the season as well for the 5,000. He's got to go sub 3.30, right? He's surely going sub 3.30. Yeah, easy. Like, I think, like, I'll say 3.28. Honestly, mate, I think he's, he's at that level now. Like that, that, I thought he was anyway, before the race the other day. I thought he was at that level to go sub 3.30 off the back of last season and knowing the training he's put in. But to run 12.58 for 5,000, you're now at that level. If you're beating athletes like, I think he beat Yared Nagoose, did he not? He did, yeah. We were yeah. chatting about Yared Nagoose before the event. We were actually chatting about, you actually said you think he'll be the mile world record holder. Indoors, yeah. Um, indoors by the time the Olympics come around. And George Mills has just smashed, has just scalped him and he's put four seconds into him. And really, it was in the later stages as well. So this guy now, George Mills, has got to be a contender to be world champion. Uh, to be Olympic champion for the 1500 meters. Got to start talking like that. He's st- he's probably talking like that. You know, what more has an athlete got to do in the build-up to say, oh, I am a contender. You know, I'm a, three, I'm a sub-350 miler. I'm a sub-13 minute 5,000 meter runner. I'm a very, very fast 800 meter runner. Tick. That's just He's got all the credentials. So I think from a British perspective, I'm so excited to see him flourish. It's so good to see him flourish because I know he's had his injuries in his younger years. Um, and just touching on, on, I think on cleared up, cleaned up, should I say, at the BU meet. Not necessarily winning the races, but the depth in their teams, their American teams, their European teams, their sponsored athletes, European athletes as well, not just Americans. They were everywhere. And they absolutely cleaned up with so many athletes running Olympic qualifiers, even as far down as Ben, ben Flanagan. You know, he's come back and just done the Olympic qualifier another on athlete and i think it's right in saying that they are so far clear from any brand in terms of supporting their athletes i'm not saying that other brands don't support their athletes to that level because of course they're going to be athletes around the world that do have that level of support but brand sort of broadly across a brand and in terms of volume of athletes that have got that support on our miles clear and i think that brands have got a long way to catch up to get to that level and probably a lot of money to spend to get there so Good, good for them and, and good for George Mills. But were there any other performances that, that caught your eye? I know you said about um, Nico Young running uh, running superbly well, but we also had Sam Atkin, you know, another sub-13 performance. What are your thoughts behind Sam Atkin and uh, the year coming up, Alfie? I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> Sam Atkin is one of them where you, you see him run ridiculously fast and then you kind of don't see him do it again. So for the hope of British 5K running, I hope he continues that form into the championship year. But I don't want to speak too soon on um, anything. I think he's one of them. I don't really know his training setup too well. I mm. don't really know um, his racing targets. I don't know much about Sam Atkin. So it's really hard to call. And I think a lot of people probably see 
one or two results a year what are obviously out of this world and then to see kind of what happens then so we'll have to wait and see i think there's a massive gap in the british 5k uh sort of ability you've kind of got sam and uh, george now who take the top spot and then you've kind of got probably butcher who's uh who did race at bu as well um uh, in, in third with james west at the minute so did james yes. west run uh, no, but he, he ran thirteen seventeen a few weeks ago in December, I believe. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yeah. Well, before this meeting, it's, it's been widely spoken about that the that the five thousand and ten thousand, but more specifically the five thousand on the track uh, for the British men is a gap. There's mm-hmm. you know, Farah's Farah's moved on. He's retired. Mark Scott's moved to the road. Yes, you had Sam Atkin who's run th- who had run thirteen oh three and twenty seven twenty six with ten, but like. You know, he had a really quite injured year last year and uh, everyone was saying, like, you know, who's going to take the mantle? Well, we just had two. You know, Atkin was already in there, but he's really cemented his name now as a world-class 5,000-meter runner. And George Mills has just basically said, yeah, I'm going to be here for the next few years. So all of a sudden, Great Britain's sort of 5,000 meters has almost started to catch up their 1,500-meter promise a little bit. So it's really, really great to see. And, and on that note, there are other athletes as well that are worth talking about from a British perspective that are going to step up to the five. You obviously have James West, who ran that 13-17 or so. Andy Butcher made a return to the track. He ran 13-30, which I think that I think that's a very solid return to the track, considering that the majority he's of... He's got a kid. He's just done a marathon block. will come off the back of the recovery of that. Obviously, it was a DNF. It didn't go quite well. So, you know, he's come back from that. And also, for the last few laps, he's running in lane two and three anyway, getting lapped. So, and you could see in his running, like, it switched off. Do you know what I mean? So, 30-30, that's not a bad little start. And, you know, we know the class of Butchai. He can come back. And then another Puma-sponsored athlete that ran, I don't know whether you saw this result, Alfie, Jack Rowe. He won the 3K in 7.38, which was a new personal best. And I didn't, I, I assumed he was running the five. Um, and then when I saw that he won that in 7.38, what would you say that that puts him in line for, for a 5,000 indoors? What would, what do you think he'd have run at BU, or roughly off the back of that time in the three? 13.0, 13-teens. Um, sorry, if, if anyone can hear this, someone's decided to cut the hedge in the background of my podcast recording, which isn't ideal, but hopefully it's not picking <laughs> up on the mic. How rude of them. Um, yeah, 13.0s, 13-teens, but I would say, I think the reason he chose to do the the 3k was because of the world indoor target and mm. he still missed it imagine winning in one of the fastest races on the calendar and you still not got the standard for the world indoors i think that shows how uh, ridiculous the standard is at the minute for those type of championships um what's the mark i think it's 737 oh, but then there's close. also a 734 standard as well so there's two different standards it's ridiculous. Okay. It's it's way too fast. Like who's who's running that other than people who are contending for medals? Yeah, I don't know. It, uh, yeah, mental. But great to see Jack Rowe getting the dub, and uh, hopefully we get to see him run some fast five thousands this this coming year because I think he's he's he is he is that class that I think he could go thirteen ten and faster if he gets it in the right race. So fingers crossed we can we can see that. Uh, so rounding off the uh, sort of topics we're going to cover Alfie is is a little bit of a less positive note and that is the story that's come out this past week around Birchfield Harriers who are if you're not aware of who they are they're a club based in Birmingham 
absolutely steeped in history, had some of the best athletes past and present that we've seen come through their ranks. You know, I could I could start reeling names off, but I wouldn't do it justice. So I won't even start with that. But they've basically they've come to they're in a dispute with the Birmingham City Council over the use of the stadium. So the stadium's the Alexander Stadium as we know it. Uh, it's where the Commonwealth Games was hosted in 2022. Now this was a Commonwealth Games that was packed to the absolute edge of the seats. It was absolutely rammed. It was incredible. Um, it was good for the good for the sport over here. And I'm just reading some article here to summarise it for you guys. But basically, it's uh, Derek Redmond, who is the vice president of Birchfield Harriers. And he's also, he did hold the 400 metre record for uh, Great Britain at one time as well. He's basically said that the Birmingham City Council are trying to kill the legacy of the 2022 Commonwealth Games. And Birchfield are claiming that they are unable to enjoy the same access that they had prior to the games that took place 17 months ago. Now, the club have said that there's a 125-year-old ground agreement that was signed in 1975 when they moved out of their old stadium in Perry Bar, which is now a ground stadium, by the way. They don't run there. And into the new stadium, Alexander Stadium, just about a mile away. So they're saying, well, there's an agreement that was put in place in 1975 for 125 years that they have X amount of access and and whatnot. Um, But Birmingham City Council, they're basically saying, well, it's no longer applicable because the stadium has changed so much with the redevelopment and what they did before the Commonwealth Games that that agreement is now null. So there's a lot of things that are up in the air. Um, and in terms of like, you know, how hard the Birmingham City Council are going at it, obviously they came under scrutiny because they are under massive financial stress at the moment themselves. Um, and it seems like what Derek Redman is saying, that they're trying to kill the legacy of the Commonwealth Games, I think that that could partially be true. Um, and lastly, Alfie, just before I ask you a sort of view on this, the club have said that they've seen their membership numbers drop uh, because of it. But hopefully that starts to return. And they've lost around £100,000 in membership and training fees, plus obviously income they get from staging events there just because of this. And then the council have said that they've spent eighty-nine grand on legal fees to take Birchfield to court. So first of all, what are your thoughts on that? I suppose the question is, why do you think that Birmingham City Council want more access to the track what do you think they want to do with that uh, honestly i i don't have a clue first of all i, I think <laughs> you, you, you see these news stories and you think oh, that's just another day in athletics but this one kind of really i think encompasses the whole issue we've got at the minute where there's councils governing bodies whoever it may be who have no interest in the sport making regulations and red tape and rules around the sport, but also it seems like deliberately gatekeeping things. It, it almost seems like people make decisions just to annoy or annoy other people or like just as a power, a power move because I, I don't know the ins and outs of the Birmingham city council, but if they're spending that amount of money, I'm taking Birchfield to court. That would be enough to hire like, let's be honest, the people who probably work at the grounds, you know, 
checking memberships and stuff like that. It's probably going to cost less than that to hire a, a decent amount of people to, you know, work part time and letting people come onto the track, like security regulating it. Probably not much more. So the fact that in in total, like Birchfield have lost six figures, City Council have lost almost six figures. If you put that money into actually just having access or open access or subsidising something for the, the club, surely that would go to better use than taking someone to court for basically on, not honouring an agreement that they deserve the right to have honoured. So I don't know the ins and outs, but it just it kind of encompasses the whole issue, I think, with uh, how athletics gets treated every single year other than when it's a home nation Commonwealth or Olympics or in Olympic year. Every every other time, mm. it seems to be, we don't care. But then every time something does come around again, oh, it's the best thing ever. Um, I don't know why that is. I don't know if council have to hit certain KPIs or just to seem good, but it never actually seems they care about it for more than a few months. Um, and it's always, you know, I can I can go very deep into this. I feel like it's almost another whole podcast episode. But I'm sure it probably infuriates you and probably a lot of listeners as well that this is kind of the situation that we're used to. And it doesn't really make much sense in my head why this continually happens when it shouldn't, really. That's all I've got to say, really. Well, yeah, totally, totally hear what you're saying, mate. I think, I think you know, reading reading further into this, I think that what the council are saying is is that obviously the agreement that was signed in 1975 for 125 years included various factors and one of those was the rent terms so you know the terms for the rent that were set in 1975 are still being adhered to by Birchfield Harriers and what the council are saying is that now that the facilities have been upgraded to a and I quote, state-of-the-art £72 million world-class venue means that the licence needs to be reviewed. So, because they're, and they're basically saying, like, you know, what's included in this agreement was for a completely different stadium. Um, if I was to explain this in complete simple terms, I think what's ultimately happened is that Birchfield have put an agreement in for a, and this is not, knocking what the previous stadium was because it was still fantastic but this is probably how the council see it that they had an agreement in place for a sunday league football pitch and that agreement and the rent terms and everything that's that's included in that agreement written in 1975 is now applicable for wembley that's like the in terms of how much money's been pumped into renovating this stadium to the level it now is with the world-class facilities that come along with it now from Birchfield's perspective it's a case of well that we've got an agreement it says it in black and white this was signed, honour it. Simple as. There's nothing in there that says whether it's renovated, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Birmingham City Council are now thinking, well, actually, you've probably got a far, far better deal out of this since the renovations. And we, as a council, need to cash in on it because they are very skint. But I don't think that's Birchfield's problem or Birchfield's fault. Ultimately, they've put, they've done a lot over the, a lot. They've done massive amounts over the years for the whole city of Birmingham in terms of getting getting kids and adults active, getting kids off the street, giving them a place to belong, a safe place, getting them into sport, one of the best avenues that kids and adults can get into, and ultimately being a massive backbone of the community. And I think that if you was to take that away, that would leave a massive hole in, in the city of Birmingham, but also it would leave a massive hole in 
hundreds and hundreds and maybe even thousands of pe- thousands of people's lives. So hopefully they can come to some form of agreement. I'm a little bit old school, man. If there's an agreement in place and it's written and you've signed it, you honour it. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, like just long last thing on this. Like, surely councils should look to like benefit the public, and it seems like <laughs> it would be rather than just saying like Birchfield aren't going to pay all the councils like lots of millions of pounds, are they? It's not like they're going to like pay that much. So it seems like just making this decision to just basically stop something for the sake of like a principle around it rather than actually a monetary value. Um, and you'd think like a government or a council would want to benefit its citizens. And I think a running club, probably one of the best things that would benefit people uh, of all ages. So it's, it doesn't really make much sense to me. And it's, it's, it's like if you're in a business and you signed a 5% share deal, like if that business goes up by X amount of money, you're still getting that you still got that share unless your shares are diluted but like you you're still it doesn't regard like if if tracks to tomorrow earn a billion pounds which would be brilliant you know our share would still be the same as it is now yeah um it's not like oh you signed this when it was this much money so now we're going to change it because it's not worth this much money it's not how it works like you said an agreement's an agreement so yeah it's, on, mate. it's a difficult one spot on so, Alfie, to round off the episode this week, we're going to finish with our WTF moment of the week. So this is basically what we've seen on social media. And at the moment, we're keeping it running related, but I don't know about you, Alfie. I watch a lot of content. There's nothing to do with running, and I think that will probably feature eventually on the show. But it's basically what we've seen on social media this week that's to do with running that has made us go WTF. And we're going to start with you, Alfie. Unfortunately, a bit of a negative one. Go on, mate. What was it? So the headline says, oh, let me just find the headline so I don't misquote miss, uh, it. Do you want me to start? Yeah, you start. Let me find the exact okay. words. All right. So this one, this one's a positive note, actually. And I think this is really cool to see. So Kip Run have unveiled a athlete house, if you like, training center in Kenya. They call it the 42 House. And it's named after the fact that 42 is the amount of kilometers that the marathon is. And the French brand Kit Run out of the uh, retailer Decathlon have announced that this is going to sit in, is it Iten or Iten? Iten. So they've announced that this house is going to sit in Iten in Kenya. We'll, uh, we'll edit that bit out. Anyway, so basically this is kind of a variation of what we see from the NN running team. That's what I took from it when I first saw it. And the brand Kit Run have famously sponsored Paul Chilimo. And we first saw it on our tracks and our streets, if you like. And that was at the night, the 10 KPBs in Highgate, when Chilimo took the win and he was wearing Kit Run. And we were all like, ain't that that brand from Decathlon? Like, what? But in actual fact, they've been around quite a while. So anyway, this house is going to house four staff, and in terms of the amount of athletes, fourteen athletes have signed to the brand. So it's been up and about. It's been up and running since November twenty twenty three, and fourteen other athletes are there with four staff. But it says that there's a there's a, there's capacity for twenty two athletes across women and men. Now, hang on, Alfie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks. Can you shut the door, please? Thanks. So. I was looking into this because I saw it on Instagram, but I struggled to find 
an article and I found an article on a French website. So I've translated it, which obviously, you know, translation is not the best. But it, yeah, basically says here that they get financial support, media and communication help. So helping athletes uh, better control their communication and how to work with the media. And then they also get nutritionists, cooks, etc. So in terms of like the financial support, this didn't really make too much sense to me. Um, but they do get some form of payment. It says here the payment of a scholarship is 20,000 shillings, which is about 125 euros. And the average salary in Kenya is 15,000 shillings. And it says here they get assistance on saving and investments. Now, in addition to that, this uh, this house is going to partner with schools. So that will allow young Kenyans to attend the house from the ages of 13 to 18 and they'll be invited there during uh during their school term doesn't say anything more than that but i assume to yeah receive some form of education which i think is fantastic and obviously chalimo is debuting in the marathon this weekend in their new carbon shoe at the u.s marathon trials and the last thing i'll say on this it says here that the brand's ambition is to reach the top five running brands in the world now, if I was to think of the top five brands in the world, I'd probably go, you've got your On, Adidas, Nike, New Balance, Asics slash Puma, Puma, Asics. Mm. So that's that's a big top five that they want to they wanna get into. So okay. what are your thoughts well, on that, Alfie? <laughs> um, the top five thing's a bit subjective, isn't it? Because like we just said, what is the top five? Is it the top five revenue or the top five dominant? There's a big difference. Yep. Like Sketchers is probably still the top one in terms of revenue, and it's you don't really see many Sketchers athletes. So no. it's it's an interesting one. I, I think it's great to see. You know, there's been investments in not just this house, but also athletes in the UK. But on this house specifically, first of all, if anyone's listening who's part of Kipron, I think we need an invite out there. Hundred um, percent. But secondly, with, with limited knowledge on it at the minute and seeing how it pans out, I don't want to say it's going to be the best thing ever, or I disagree with it or agree with it. It, it does seem like a positive initiative. And in in terms of development of the brand for Kip Run, it, it kind of makes sense that they're going down this route because where are you going to get the most race winners from? Generally, it's going to be East Africa. And mm-hmm. if you can provide a better opportunity, a more stable lifestyle, you know, to these people, then it's only going to benefit the brand, but also the athletes. So I like that. The house looks sick, to be fair. Like, I've seen some pictures on social media. It looks it looks like a cool place to go. So anything what's new and interesting, I like the sound of. So I'm very for it. And um, I'd like to see more big-name athletes come out. Um, as we saw with On a few years ago, you know, when people like Helen Abiri started signing, you kind of sit back and mm-hmm. go, oh, I've got to start listening now. I guess that's the same with Chalimo, but, you know, Chalimo... Um, probably relatively comparable to Helena Beery. But I think Chilimo, obviously, not world champion like Helen, but a very big name in um, athletics. So if we can get a few more athletes across the line, and the shoes are legitimate, because that's another big thing. <laughs> they can't just compete if they've got bad shoes, then who knows? Maybe Kiprum will be the new on, in the sense of that we'll be talking about them in a few years' time, saying what amazing things they've done. Uh, only time will tell. But back to the top five brands, I, don't, I couldn't tell you what the top five brands are. Um, well, they signed Alice Goodall, didn't they? And, and, and Abby Donnelly from the UK. Yeah. That's that's a big statement of intent that they've clearly got eyes and ears on the ground over here. Yeah. Um, 
which is long old way from Kenya. Obviously, it's a French brand, but I, I, I need to do the research. You know, I, I assume they're owned some form. I don't know whether they're owned by Decathlon. I don't know, but Decathlon's the biggest retailer in the world. So I'm pretty sure that's fact. And if it's not, we'll edit it. Sports but, retailer. Yes, sorry. Sports retailer. I think I read that somewhere. Um, I'll let you fact check that. But if you've got the power of Decathlon behind you, then, yeah, there could be something special here. Now, let's also imagine Paul Chalimo wins the US Marathon Trials on the, on the weekend. Imagine how many carbon shoes they're going to sell. <laughs> I want a pair, so... I want a pair and I don't care how fast he goes at the weekend. Kit Run, if you're listening, two seats, budget airline, Ryanair, window seats fine, me and Alfie, Rift Valley. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, it is the biggest retailer as well. So maybe not maybe not Ryanair. If they're the biggest retailer in the world, maybe we can get some uh, British Emirates. airlines out there or something. Air Lingus. Yeah, let's go. We can do it. And uh, to round off the episode, Alfie, what was your WTF moment of the week? I know it was a bit of a bit of a sad one, a bit of a negative yeah. one. Staying in Iton, actually, four pharmacists are arrested in Iton, and as an athlete, is also caught taking EPO. I think I think he got caught in the act of of <laughs> taking taking the the drugs. So why this is a massive thing is because Iton isn't like a big city. Mm. Iton's a relatively small place. And the general statistic is that so many of the world champions in distance running come from this very small place in the world. So if four pharmacists have been banned in one go, how many pharmacists are in Iton? Probably not that many. So in terms of percentage-wise, it's just quite concerning that basically the running capital of the world is having pharmacists get banned for administering doping and drugs. It's, it's quite a scary storyline. It's positive that dopers are getting banned, but how how deep does this go? Like, it's quite a big establishment. I'm, I can't go to the pharmacist down the road and go, can I have some EPO, please? It's not working. Can't, yeah. Oh, mate, you well, should come I'll, over I'll there. You get what you want. Right, and next week I'll, I'll speak on that and see what they say. But, like, it's quite worrying for me that it's quite, it was a big headline. And when I saw it, I was like, that's really not good. So, no, it's not good. That's um, I'm just trying to find some more information on this story. Um... I, I am clicking on Let's Run to click on the link, but it's taking you to a completely unrelated page on a completely unrelated re- website. So I don't know what's happening with with Let's Run at the minute. So if anyone's listening from Let's Run, please please sort that out. So the Hobo Champions item, obviously, is known by a team of officers caught a pharmacy attendant administrating the suspected banned substance to an athlete. So they were caught in the act. Um, and then in a separate incident in Cap Sabet, which my, my Kenyan geography isn't the best, um, an agency was raided, uh, which involved unlawful practices such as storage and administrating of prohibited substances. So to me, that sounds like quite a big operation. And it's clearly something that pharmacies profit from in one way or another. So the fact that it seems quite easily accessible to do that is quite worrying. But the only good side of it is Anti-Doping Agency of Kenya is really ramping up their efforts to sort it out. And that's maybe why we see a lot more Kenyan athletes getting banned than um, specifically some other East African places is because now Kenya does have the infrastructure to catch cheats 
more accessibly than before because they didn't have the in infrastructure there to test to do these operations. So that's why we're seeing so many more Kenyan athletes getting banned. It's it's kind of one of them where it's obvious. Like we all know they're taking the cheating, but the only reason we're seeing Kenyan athletes get banned now, and it's not like more of taking drugs. It's just more of getting caught. So, well, it's only took it's only took forty odd years to finally catch up a little bit and start catching athletes because this isn't a new development. Athletes from from certain areas of Africa have been doping for decades, and it's not like it started last year. The loads have been getting caught recently, but it's been going on for ages. So, I don't want to ask silly questions, but why has it taken this long for them to catch this volume of people? I, I don't know. I just feel the problem is right. You see an athlete get done now. I mean, I could literally go on certain Twitter profiles. I actually just go on the AIU Twitter. It's just a stream of X athletes been banned, this athlete's been banned, this country's been banned, and it's like nine times out of ten, you know, maybe it's because my understanding of athletes isn't where it needs to be. I don't know, but a lot of them I've never heard of. A lot of the athletes are just like I have no idea who that is. Then you research them, and it's like oh. oh. 61 minute half marathon runner never heard of them ninth in the dubai half marathon there are so many volume of athletes getting done for doping it's it's out, especially out of kenya it's, it's quite it's quite astounding really and where does it stop how many athletes have to be banned before world athletics intervene because they intervened with russia very quickly um yet the pure volume that's coming out of kenya and other areas of Africa is just frightening. So I don't know. I don't know whether something will change. I can't see Subco changing anything before his, his, ten, his tenure runs out, which is relatively soon, I think. Mm. Um, but this story specifically, there's actually a photo of the pharmacy. Have you seen it? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, I love Kenya, right? I think it's wicked. I think it's wholesome. It's a beautiful place. It's amazing. I'd love to go there. But <laughs> just go and have a look at the photo of the pharmacy. It's like... Yeah, it's just it's just a shack, isn't it? It's just a shack, and somehow some geezer stood out the back, giving out EPO to athletes, and he's been caught. And I'm glad they've been caught, and hopefully they're banned for the foreseeable, if not for life. They should be banned for life. But uh, I just thought it was funny when you first started, it and it was like he was caught in the act. I don't know about you, but I thought something completely different. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, to be honest, looking at it, it's probably exactly where you'd expect to get some some EPO from. Like, yeah, that's what I was thinking. What would just say what your problem is, and they go, Yeah, I've got this, this for you, and you just take it, don't ask questions. Um, yeah, I need to, I need to do more research. Maybe we can cover this in a different episode about the where the pharmacy is located in con in comparison to the camps and athletes training. Uh, but Iton only has 42,000 people, so there's not going to be dozens of pharmacies. Um, so it's highlighted that quite a lot of people were using this place as a pharmacy I'm not saying everyone's doping who goes there but if if the shoe fits you know anyway what a way to finish the episode Alfie it's been emotional thanks for joining us once again on the tracks that podcast and uh, yeah best of best of luck for this week of training taper week don't lose your head you know oh. you know what taper means right you know it actually means that you you, you, you taper you don't you don't do more you do less so just uh freshen up mate and uh hopefully you'll be rewarded with a big race out in armar thank you I, I hope so um it'll be two weeks time that i'll be able to update but hopefully that's a uh a good 
podcast episode where I can discuss that. I ran an amazing personal best and won the race. Um, both races, actually, while I'm racing that week. So, yeah, been a good episode. And uh, see you next week. Excellent. So that's it for today's episode. Thanks for joining us, running fans, for the Tracks of Podcast today. A big thanks to our sponsor of the show, Pillar Performance. Now, if you'd like to try Pillar today, head over to pillarperformance.shop. Or if you're listening from the US, head to thefeed.com forward slash pillar. Now, I saw so many top athletes using Pillar and I saw their stats on their Instagram stories for their sleep quality and the recovery improvement. So when we teamed up with Pillar, we were buzzing that we was able to try their triple magnesium. So what I do basically, half an hour before bed, I take the triple magnesium in in the drink. And not only do I feel like I recover a little bit better, especially when I'm training for this marathon, but the data that I get from my Coros, I have the Pace 3 model, it shows faster and harder improvements in my hrv but also in my restorative sleep so in the same way that you might start your day with a coffee wind it down with the pillar triple magnesium and you can recover better for your tomorrow's run now if you head over to their website enter our discount code trackster you can get yourself 15 percent off of your first time purchases and to stay up to date with all things trackster head over to our instagram drop us a follow thanks for joining me and alfie on the show and we'll see you next week for another chat cheers confidence starts with loving who you are and when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside you naturally radiate confidence from the inside give your skin a glow up with osea's clinically proven mega moisture duo this ultra hydrating body care features two of osea's best sellers undaria algae body oil and undaria collagen body lotion these seaweed powered heroes use skincare level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty free, and climate neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O S E A Malibu.com, code GLOW.